2: smells best. In the evening it's not
3: worth believing what you heard. Soil and cream,
2: really just a trisket, out a people biscuit, take my word. It's instead you can't handle the truth, but that ain't so. How do I know?
4: Welcome to the 20th episode of I Was There Too. Looks like we've made it. This is the podcast where I talk to the people that were there in the great scenes of cinema and television history. And today especially because I thought it a good time to put together a compilation of some of the best stories that people have shared thus far. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, and it was incredibly difficult to choose. I put it to the internet for suggestions on which moments were the people's favorites, and I also put in one or two of my own for proprietor's sake but what follows is what I consider to be a great representation of what this show is. It will be a good re-listen if you're very familiar with I Was There Too, or if you're relatively new, the perfect starting place. Everybody wins, just like life, all the time. Also, please stick around for a brand new I Was There Tune where we address the curious endings of this show's theme songs with some special guests. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this show. I love doing it. The response and listenership has far exceeded my expectations. And here's to many more. Now, let's let the guests do the talking as we begin with... Act 1, The Character,
3: with Paul F. Tompkins from There Will Be Blood, Rico Ross from Aliens, and Paula Malcolmson from Deadwood, in which they discuss improvising lines and last-minute additions to their characters that helped keep them in the game, or in one case, just still
0: alive. The only improv that I did was there's... When the meeting completely breaks, falls apart, and everyone is just yelling, and I'm trying to calm people down, and I was like, "Well, I have to say something," and to my great embarrassment, and people have quoted this back to me, I said at one point, "We gain nothing by losing our heads."
4: <laughs> I think that's great. Why, to your great embarrassment,
0: because it's, that sounds so of the time. I yeah, but it sounds like a a dumb turn of phrase, you know what I mean? Is that even a turn of phrase or did you we make that up? We gain nothing by losing our heads. <laughs> did you make that up? I, I guess that's I did. Not, I'm
4: thinking you were quoting some like classical aphorism or something. No. that
0: I wish I, I would. Maybe that's what I was going for, was trying to sound like that. I don't know. I'm not gonna let this go. That's not I don't know why it embarrasses me. It embarrasses me. It's I don't impressive. know why. It's impressive. You improvise you know a line here's that also why it feels ev- like it's like it's a great quote. Here's why it embarrasses me is because someone was able to pick it out of the <laughs> yelling and they were able to quote it back to me like uh i caught you saying this no, that's what it feels like I, when i saw that i'm thinking you're quoting something like some great greek just philosopher my, just or something. my dumb brain
4: no that's that goes on in the pantheon of. i think
0: i was embarrassed also because i think at the time like on the day i was like oh yeah that's good that's good i'll say this oh you had that ready to go that was in your bag i think that was after like between takes well I that's came a up different that. story then yeah that
3: is embarrassing <laughs> <That's> embarrassing. <laughs>
4: Now, you guys, um, you got to bond together as grunts. And is it true that you got to paint your own little things on your armor? Everybody. So yours, I, I've done my work. Yours <laughs> is a heart with an arrow through it that says Heath. Can you tell the story behind that? or is that? <laughs> you know, man, people have
1: been asking me that for a long time. And I, I thought, you know, I, you, first of all, you have to understand these, these suits, that, this armor, it's metal. Yeah. It's real metal. Uh-huh. And so when he gave us, he says, listen, you guys, personalize it. Do whatever you want. I, I, I start carving in, scratching in this heart. And I start scratching in the name of the mother of my kid, which just happens to be Heather. Uh,
5: and I Heather. get halfway
1: through <laughs> and I realize I do not have enough room. <laughs> and So, I, so I, I put what I call her sometimes, Heather. <laughs> but people instantly read that as Heath. So, um, you know.
4: Well, it does take place in a lot, the future. And I have don't a lot of to, gay fans, yeah, let me tell you something, yeah. man. Don't hey. Ask, Don't Tell has been repealed by this time. <laughs> so that's wonderful. Oh, my God. It's the future, baby, so it's all good.
1: <laughs> it's all good.
4: <laughs> all right. Uh, now, I have to ask you about a line that you have. It's actually an exchange between you and Spunkmeyer. And you said, quote, Hey, I sure wouldn't mind getting some of that Arcturian poontang. Remember that time? Spunkmeyer replies, "Yeah, Frost, but the one that you had was male." Getting back to Heath, I think, and then you say it doesn't matter when it's Arcturian, baby. So, are we talking about another species of alien? Did you know? Is it what's we, going on? There? We
1: are talking about definitely another species of aliens, and in our mind, so Frost
4: is a little freaky.
1: No, at this table right here, we're at that at that breakfast table. James gave us a script. But when we started we start working and we start vibing and we just start going off script and Jane just kept the camera rolling and we we're just saying stuff, you know? And so he just kept it rolling and he ended up keeping that tape. So
4: you improvise that? Yeah, that That's was fantastic. improvised.
1: <laughs> hey well, you know, this says Arturian baby, you yeah. know, it don't matter when it's Arturian. Yeah, you know, everybody knows the So Arturian. that was just that was just to throw in line and you know, I guess in, in my mind is that, you know, these are aliens. So if, you, if you're if talking about this alien that was so damn good, then you know it, your, your imagination is, is,
4: is the only thing that's going to limit you. Well, it's good that you got killed off before you met any of the xenomorphs <laughs> because who know what would oh, happen there? Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> your character was only supposed to make it to season, or episode four, right?
6: I, that's what Milch said. You know, he started, I said at the very beginning, kind of like, what should I read? And he said, read about saints. And I thought, no, fuck you! You're not killing me. <laughs> I, so I, you know, be, made myself necessary, you know, indispensable. You sure did. And 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 I sort of knew the moment when that happened. I was like, oh, I'm home free. He's not going to kill me.
3: And what was that? It
6: was the scene where I don't remember what the episode was, but um, it was a Friday. I can't remember. It might have been episode two or three, and it was a Friday. So Dave. Traditionally went home on early on Fridays, and because um, he was there for every single rehearsal, every you know pretty much the shooting of all things while writing the show. Because we had everything on, we had our writers' room on the ranch. Everybody was together.
4: This is Melody Ranch, right? It was Melody Clarita. Ranch, yeah. yeah.
6: So it was Friday, and the director said to me, "Do you have at lunch? Do you have any thoughts about that scene?" And I lied and said, uh, "Well, Dave and I spoke about it last night," and right off my, the, you know, I don't know, back then my brain worked better than now. Um, and I said, yeah, I'd like to do something sort of biblical with, a, with something to do with his feet and, and uh, you know, have maybe a and dangerous and have a cutthroat razor that I'm shaving his corns with. Because oh, my, my dad used to do that to my granny and it, the image just came into my mind. And um, so we did that. So the director loved it because it had been sanctioned by David, he thought.
7: That's brilliant. In fact,
6: it had not, and um, and so we went ahead and, and we're we shooting it, and um, I improved a line, something like, "You want? I should do the other foot?" and he and Swearingen came back in, looked at me, and said, "Please."
4: Where do you get the balls to just suggest that to the director and say that the right that's already been sanctioned by the writer?
3: They were, It's called survival. <laughs> <laughs> Act two.
4: The Shoot, with
3: Stephen Tobolowsky from Deadwood, Melody Ray, the lady with the baby carriage from The Untouchables, and Jeanette Goldstein, Vasquez from Aliens, in which they discuss the process from learning lines to forgetting you're wearing a mic to not knowing which definition of the word alien applies.
8: It would get even worse. You would rehearse a scene, and David Milch would say... We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do a little rewriting. Uh, just kind of go back to your trailers, and so you go back to your trailer and you sit for eight hours, and then you get the call. So we've redone it. We're not doing the scene at all now. We're gonna do this next week, and then you go Powers. We're gonna do your big scene tomorrow, and Powers would go like, "What? What? <laughs> that we're supposed to do that next? Week. Well, we're moving it up to tomorrow." So I remember one night, I. they said that a rewrite was coming. I got a rewrite at midnight in which I had one of those Deadwood monologues that's like a paragraph and a half long in backward Shakespeare and all this kind of stuff. And he's, and the AD called me up and said, David wants to shoot this first thing in the morning. So we're talking, you know, 530 AM and right now it's midnight. And you start with this calculus in your head, like, okay, do I not sleep and hope that I'm able to perform this in the morning? Or are we going to get there in the morning and we're going to do it and David is going to say, you know, let me rewrite it again. And I should just blow it off and sleep. And what I ended up doing was I began crying. (laughs) I began crying on the phone. And I said to the AD, I said, let me tell you, I'll do anything to not be first up. How about 100 bucks? Give you 100 bucks to shuffle. And I says, Stephen cannot do that. I said, 150, $150. Just slip me just so I could learn this. And and please, just please, 200 bucks. No, Stephen, first up. (laughs) So. uh, And what animal did he have you play at (laughs) us? I tell you, it was the scene that he threw at Ian uh, McShane, too. So, So, like, we end up, neither of us know. Our lines. Ian and I do not know our lines at all. Uh So we look at each other, and Ian says, just look at me. Just look at me the whole time. Whatever. So he goes, so, Mr. Jari, line. And the script supervisor gives line. And then I go, yes, Swearingen, line. (laughs) And we go back and forth for about 15 minutes to get through this whole suite calling line, 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 line. I'm saying this has got to be horrible. And they just cut around it, or and they cut around it, and it looked great. That's crazy. It looked, it's crazy. It looked, I think. I think one of the funniest things is on that show is because it was so unpredictable what David Milch would do, and we shot. They never washed our clothes. They shot in every weather condition. It didn't matter. They wanted the wet. They wanted the stink. They wanted the stains. It was in one of those torrential downpours, and I was doing a scene where I had to run into the bar and talk to Powers and uh, to Garrett, and we're, we're doing some plotting against swearingen uh-huh. So we do one take where we come to the bar, pouring rain. Second take, I'm walking in in a foot of mud, and there was a horse extra outside the door just having a horse walk. The horse couldn't take it anymore. So while we're shooting, I come in the bar. The horse comes in the bar behind me and walks up to the bar behind me. So Powers has this big speech, and he's doing it, and he starts talking about how we're planning this thing against Swearingen. So he gives part of the speech to me and part of it to get, And then he turns to the horse and says, and, 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 I, want, and I want you to do this. You know, he, he divvied up part of his line and <laughs> gave it to the horse. And, and he keeps thinking like, and then, the, you know, they call cut, and Powers comes to me, Tobo, um did David add that horse to the (laughs) scene? And I said, no powers, but you did just deliver part of your monologue to a horse. I love what you're telling me. I think he's just
4: being a smart ass, but the fear of David Milch in his mercurial ways, means it's like, it could be a David Milch thing. He threw a horse at me. I better go with it. (laughs) Right.
9: But as 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 I showed up on the set the first time again, I had no idea what my part was or my character was. So they show me my little trailer and I go in and, you know, I keep all of my stuff shoved over to my little 12 inches like you have, you know, in an equity contract. Uh And um, I'm I'm assuming there's more people coming in there and um, no, nobody else. I had my own trailer and I was like, Whoa, this is, this is kind of nice. (laughs) Um, And um, as I was, uh, doing my work there i 'm a floor sitter. I just like to sit on the floor uh-huh. um, and so at one point, uh, as I was waiting, I, I just sat down on the floor, and all of a sudden, I hear echoing through Union Station, chair for Miss Ray, chair for Miss Ray, chair for Miss Ray, <laughs> and people come running and i 'm like you know i 'm ba- as far as i know i 'm just basically an extra with a couple, you know, now I've got a microphone on. I I had forgotten I was mic'd and we were we were telling a few jokes about Mr. Kostner.
4: Oh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Give it to us.
9: Yes. <laughs> well, these are just a couple of pals of mine from from a, a show that I had done and they were doing extra work and I was just waiting between scenes and um they was they were joking with me about, you know, well, oh, you and Kevin Kostner getting along really well and I'm I'm being a bit baldy about uh, what was going on. And we're laughing back and forth. And all of a sudden, here comes that same little sound man. And he goes, hi, I'm just going to turn your mic off, if that's okay. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. They heard everything that we were saying.
4: I'm sure it never got back to Kevin himself.
9: though. Oh, I don't know. And, you know, at this point, I really don't care. (laughs) But, But...
4: You would never know this, but your character, Vasquez, and me, we have a, a shared history. Oh, yes? Yes. So <laughs> when I was in junior high when Aliens came out, and we used to play, my friends and I used to play Aliens all the time, and I always chose to be Vasquez because <laughs> it was the most amazing character. Of
10: course. I was. I, I always say I was living every like 12-year-old boy's dream. You must but have been. And apparently I was. Yeah. yeah.
4: Uh, so I want to take it kind of from the beginning. We'll talk about Aliens for a bit. We'll talk about some of your other great Cameron roles, some of your other roles. And then what you're doing now, mm-hmm. but I read that when you went in for the part of Vasquez, you thought the movie was about aliens, as in immigrant aliens. Is that true?
10: Yeah, that, I, that part is true. I did. <laughs> I was, um, I was living in England, uh-huh. and um, I had my British uh, residency card. It was called you were called a resident alien okay. instead of having a green card. You were a resident alien, and I was married to an English guy, and. Um, there's a whole kind of underground economy of people who marry citizens in order to get their resident alien card. Sure. And they had asked for um, only to see American or Canadian actors. So I'd it was called Aliens, and I thought, well, it's probably about that phenomenon.
4: And is it true that you went in with heels and a skirt or something like that?
10: I did. I went in, you know, it was a first meeting, uh-huh. and I didn't have an agent, so I had no idea what was going on. And so, yeah, no, I dressed up. I wore, you know, um, heels. I had, it was a pair of slacks, and actually, the lucky thing was it was an unusually, really hot day. And so I had a sort of little silk sleeveless blouse on, uh-huh. which when she said, and I had, and makeup, and, you know, the whole thing, and when, you know, when Gail, had mentioned about, oh, you know, it's about uh, Marines, and I, you know, (laughs) thought, oh, shit, I'm so (laughs) dressed inappropriately, you know. Um, But then, you know, I made this little sort of muscle bicep kind of thing, you know, and she was like...
3: Act 3, The Gossip, with Greg Proops from Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, and Doug Benson from Captain EO, in which they discuss the curious habits of Harrison Ford and Michael Jackson.
11: And by the way, my, um, driver... We had drivers. That's how classy it was. Yeah. It didn't pay a lot, but the, but it, they had a classy production. Looked just like Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. Oh my god! And he had like a little cashmere sweater on, and he, had, uh, you know, uh, light gray hair, really good-looking chap, right? It was a Jaguar uh, saloon, right? So it was a beautiful uh-huh. ride. They said so. I'm smoking in the back, you know, <laughs> and um, he goes, uh, I drove Harrison Ford on um, the third Raiders picture, right? And he goes. Um, Harrison Ford would smoke a bone on the way to the set every day, oh, right? And back. Yeah, of back. course he would, yeah. On the, but I like for first call, uh-huh. right? Like it's <laughs> 6.30 a.m. Yeah, and and first call, right. And yeah. he'd read his lines. He'd have the script, right? And he'd be huffing a fatty, right? So uh, this guy volunteers this information. I'm, I didn't ask him. And he goes, um, let me tell you something. He was staying at the Savoy. And one day I go to pick him up at the Savoy. And uh, he comes out with a saucepan with a lid on it and, uh, and gets in the back of the Jaguar. And he goes, <laughs> the driver says to him, Harry, why do you have a saucepan, right? Because he's got a kitchenette. He's got a suite at the Savoy, okay, right? Yeah. With like a kitchenette. He goes, I ran out of papers. So he's heated up the dope, you see, oh in the gosh. saucepan and cooked it. So he opens up the saucepan and goes like this. Wah! And like just sticks his head in it. And the dope smoke's going everywhere. And he says... I get to the stoplight, and they're on the Strand in London, right? And he goes, and I put the windows down, and the dope smoke's billowing out everywhere. But that's how he—he he wanted to get high, but he ran out of paper, so he heated up dope in a saucepan. I've thought. always kind of laughed at the fact that he was a stoner, but, I mean, that just—that's that resourceful. Isn't that great? I mean, that, he's determined. Oh, my God, like Bear Gryllis, man. He fucking rubbing two sticks together, you know? It's very Indiana Jones. Never I mean, mind the Coke can of the, or the, <laughs> the apple. apple? Yeah. yeah, not the apple. A saucepan. <laughs> And I love it because you ruin the saucepan. It's like when we used to do the hash thing with the ice bucket oh, in hotels. You oh, just ruin God. the ice bucket till the end of time because it just smells like a big roach. Jesus. And then he also told me um, that he was glad he was on uh, Star Wars. And I said, why are you glad you're on Star Wars? And he goes, because all my mates are on Eyes Wide Chad." And he goes, they have been shooting uh, for two and a half years. Right. How
12: was...
4: <laughs> Coppola, you're working with one of the greatest directors of all time.
12: He just seemed kind of, uh, you know, somewhat manic and uh, unhappy, you know, and and sort of, uh, I didn't really, I strangely didn't focus on him very much because it was the most distracting thing about the experience was that every time... Michael Jackson was doing his thing because we got to wa- we got to be there while he like danced around a lot. Yeah. So it was always fun to for them to hit the playback really loud. And you're just there watching Michael dance and Jackson dance around up, up close. And nobody seems to be worried security wise that something might <laughs> one of these extras might be a nut bar. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, <laughs> but every time they said cut. He would go and sit on a chair in the corner with his young friend I think the kid's name was Jonathan maybe Michael Jackson would a friend Michael Franklin? Jackson uh-huh. with this kid in his lap and they would like whisper in each other's ear and giggle and just seem to be having the time of their life just hanging out together in a chair
4: and this guy wasn't involved with the production he was just his
12: how? He was just like a, you know, like a Macaulay Culkin looking sort of kid. Oh boy. Yeah, and that, you know, who knows? Sure. Uh, like, I don't know if that kid, if anything happened to him, or if he ever uh, tried, to, if he was one of those ones that ever tried to
4: press charges. I but don't, he, even I don't if think you take that stuff out of the equation, it's still it's creepy a lump as hell.
12: <laughs> like when people would, you know, from that day forward, when the subject of Michael Jackson and children would come up, I'd go, well, he's he's a creep. Like yeah. he's he's doing inappropriate things with other people's children. You know. Whether or not he's, it it ever gets sexual is is uh you know that's we may never know, but I bet it did because he, just just that he, is on record as telling children that wine is
4: Jesus juice yeah. That's enough. Like that's, that's enough. enough. That's it.
12: That's- <laughs> but people, he's exonerated. The high school in Hollywood that you that had the Michael Jackson auditorium, uh-huh. they covered it up when he got all those charges, and then a few years after his, uh, you know, a while after his death, they uncovered it again. Same it's with back to the Michael Jackson auditorium. They brought this back and in Captain EO. Yeah, and now he they and all they did was add to the sign the word tribute. Which yeah. what does that even mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. like they're kind trying, trying to distance themselves a little bit. Like, well, Disneyland doesn't condone what we've learned but we also you know we have this theater and this movie and you know how long are we going to show and honey enough- i shrunk the audience yeah.
3: act four the danger with paul rust from inglorious bastards and simone Gad from speed in which they discuss guns stunts and guilt
4: when i re-watch these movies i'm watching them for one character's perspective which Completely changes the movie, like <laughs> Aliens for a Colonial Marine. And watching just for you is so fascinating. So I n- never yeah. noticed before when you guys go in to break Hugo Stiglitz out of his cell. Yeah, the way you walk up and the way you stand is has so much like football bravado, and you have this like slant, like basically it feels like your character's going like, "What are you going to do? What do you want?" Right. <laughs> then you shoot that guy right the groaning soldier yeah, yeah yeah but you don't even look or flinch barely like you just I, and this brings me to the pleasure of this podcast is I'm watching the whole picture normally and then I'm watching you and I get this whole nuanced performance of this
13: Oh, the PFC
4: great. Andy Kagan <laughs> who doesn't barely even need to look yeah. to shoot a groaning wounded soldier.
13: Well, thanks, man. Not many people have uh, noticed that, and uh, that's actually my biggest part yeah. in the movie. So for you to notice that, I appreciate it that. It was hard.
4: Yeah. I mean, I always noticed the, there was the comedic shoot, the yeah. gunshot, but it's you can't more... It's
13: hard to read necessarily that it's me or yeah. – Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get more of the sound. That, yeah. Yeah, the rhythm or something. Well, that was uh, – I haven't thought about this in a long time, but that was actually and wasn't even a thing in the back of my mind to bring up. But oh, good. Yeah, it was like um, that actually came out of um, I got that because Brad Pitt came up with the joke of something. Something we kill people. And he's like, it'd be funny if somebody groaned and then somebody shot him. And then by, I think, virtue that I was further on the left, oh. I got that joke. And then it became all about, oh, you can't. It's going to be really loud because um, yeah,
4: you're in this like cave chamber. Basically, yeah, so right? it's like cavernous, where yeah. it's just
13: like all echoes. Uh-huh. And it was a former um, like Nazi headquarters. Like, oh, uh, my God. so there was. Um, I remember uh, stuff torn down that used to be old, like um, you know, like maybe a statue that you know after the war was over, they're like Get the shit out of here. But it was still like there. Um, but yeah, I remember shooting the gun, and they said, "Oh, make sure whatever you do, don't." uh, bat an eye because it'll be funnier if it's just still. So that's what you saw. (laughs) But I remember when I was done, uh, you know, and people are done and then you just kind of like walk away and you're like, I hope that worked out. And then I remember like a half hour later, uh, Clinton came by and he was like, man, you nailed that gunshot thing, man. That was great. You did. That was a, that was a high compliment. I'm
4: I'm not even joking. It's worth Rewatching this movie just for that little scene.
13: Well, I remember that. Yeah, when we did it, it was actually that for me. That felt like uh, it was really exciting because it was the oh, everybody's in the frame together, walking together in a line. It yeah. looks like the classic sort of like group of guys formation that you see. Yeah, and, it would uh, be
4: on the poster, of the tableau, of right? The silhouettes yeah. of the guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. Were there any actual stunt sequences that, I mean, I noticed a few where you had to cross the board and how was that? Had you ever done any kind of action work before?
7: Oh, no, it was scary. So it was <laughs> real for me crossing. It, it was dangerous.
4: Because you guys are moving, right? We were You're,
7: moving. Yeah. It, it was no joke. And we also went, you know, where there's the gap in the bridge. Yeah. The, the gap gap on the freeway. The big stunt
4: jump of the bus, right?
7: Exactly. And Keanu Reeves says, there's uh, there's a gap on the freeway. (laughs) And so literally he said that, and that's what was happening. So we were strapped into our seats and we actually went over the gap, but it wasn't a huge gap. It was a a small gap, but nonetheless, it was a gap. You're kidding. No, not, not kidding. So
4: the bus did an actual jump? Were, yes. Were they, were they on, was it on cables or you just actually did a small jump? And they, we, I,
7: we in the bus did an actual jump.
4: So what, what What were you thinking when that
7: happened? Um, I was trying not to think about it, but <laughs> it was very terrifying and I mean, it was all very scary because it was all so real. It, stuff was really happening.
4: Yeah, no CG really at the time for the most No, part.
7: not really.
4: So the reaction when you guys make the bus jump in the film – is is that from when you guys did the little jump there? And probably that's a genuine reaction where you guys are bonding that, God, we went through this traumatic stunt experience.
7: It was, yes, we were, all went through it together, <laughs> very much so. And then, you know, on the, on the plank to get from our bus to the other bus, that was very dangerous. And one of the actresses, uh, besides myself, nearly fell off the plank. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it was serious. Well,
4: we, we should talk about this because your character—we'll call her Simone. It's not you, Simone, but your character, Simone.
7: Exactly, the the librarian.
4: She's a librarian. Yes. Oh, what else can we learn about
7: her? Well, I had a lot of books and a book bag.
4: And you had the the glasses. And, and I it. had the glasses
7: <laughs> and a simple little dress and sweater. Yeah. And I I did my hair my hair. Style. They had the wardrobe for me, and they duplicated the glasses. Those weren't my glasses, but they made a pair of glasses like mine.
4: Um. So your character Simone is about to cross this plank. It's Mm -hmm. a pivotal moment of the scene. We're getting all the bus passengers off to save the day. Mm -hmm. Your character hesitates.
7: Yes, because I was
4: significantly yes, and is basically responsible for keeping Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock on the bus. Do you feel any um? what's the word, any uh, uh, like guilt by proxy for your character, you kept them on the bus. The, the movie could have been over right there if, had you not have hesitated. I'm asking you to get in your character's shoes.
7: <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> you know, I, I was only thinking selfishly for my safety. <laughs> and um, Keanu was very kind because he helped me get down the stairs to get onto the plank to get to the other side. Uh-huh. And... That was very nice of him. Because <laughs> I was really scared. I was terrified. Was
4: that built? You guys. It was had planned for real. For, for, but it was planned for the character to hesitate, or did, was that?
7: No, that. That was, came through you. Oh, y- really? Yes. Oh, definitely. So you, the
4: actress, are responsible for keeping them on the bus and putting them in further danger. I was the bad girl. Simone. Oh, Simone. I was the very bad girl. <laughs> well, do you do? You, uh, how do you carry that with you today? That guilt.
3: I
7: I carry it every day. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Act five. The Stars, in which Josh Molina from In the Line of Fire and Paula Tompkins from There Will Be Blood Again discuss what it's like to act opposite Clint Eastwood and Daniel Day-Lewis.
4: How was it driving Eastwood around? I somehow imagine him to be like a backseat driver or something. What
14: was he like? He couldn't have been nicer in the entire process. I've found people like Nicholson, like Eastwood, um, uh, even in these super limited capacity roles that I'm playing around them, I find them to be very, very nice. There's a certain level at which there's nothing to prove. They don't have to, you know, there's yeah. no dick on the table kind of thing. <laughs> can you say that? Yeah, um, you sure can. They, you know, they're they're big stars already. Uh-huh. So sometimes it's like two or three levels down. That's where the real the assholes, on the that's where they work, yeah. exactly. And they have, yeah. to have something to prove and they want to make knock you down. So neither were rela- like Clint Eastwood, I remember, talking about cat allergies with him. <laughs> really yeah he was just like he'd sit and he'd talk about whatever came up and also I definitely learned a little bit about acting on film there because he would speak almost inaudibly (laughs) you know and and later I'd watch the performance and it was great but at the time I was thinking my turn to speak (laughs)
4: So he's just did he ya. just knows he's gonna be ADR'd the whole time or what?
14: I don't know if it's that or you know, they, they, they those microphones yeah. will get it, but yeah. he does so little that it's almost like are you still awake and did you say your line? <laughs> and then you watch it and it's like, wow, that works. Like that guy's cool. You don't really have to do much oh, uh, on camera. That's a good and, lesson. Yeah. And so when I had to drive him, I as I was a little bit nervous because um I had to drive very precisely yeah i had to hit two little sandbags they'd put down is this your first time driving on camera first time driving uh-huh. on camera i have to hit the sandbags let him out he'll come around to the passenger side and we'll talk about how you spell ukulele right which That's is basically right. the scene yeah. um and so the first time i uh we, we do the first take i drive in at 0.7 miles an hour. I feel the sandbags. I stop. He gets out. We do the scene. And I hear cut. And uh, Wolfgang Peterson runs up. He goes, yeah. Uh, it's a little wimpy. It's a little wimpy. The, the driving? Yeah. He's like, you're a Secret Service agent. You know, you're you're you're, you're a little more ballsy. Or you get in there, pull in, and you do the scene. I'm like, OK. So, of course, I overcompensate. <laughs> and I drive way too fast on the second take. I hit the sandbags. There's sort of. I see Clint Eastwood kind of seesawing back and forth a little bit. And he finally settles, gets out. We do the scene. So he doesn't
4: break. He just no. To, yeah, we do the scene. God professor. bless
14: him. Yeah, and dirty Harry uh, for crying out loud. Exactly. Yeah. Right. He can take a little uh, a hard stop or two. Yeah. And uh, you're cut. And that, I don't think it was Wolfgang Petersen. Someone else comes over. The first AD comes over and starts really bitching me out. <laughs> like, what are you doing? This is the star of our movie. You're trying like a fucking maniac. What do you got? What are... Clint Eastwood walks over. He goes, now, wait a minute. This would be better if I did a better Clint Eastwood. That's but not So bad. imagine That's Clint Eastwood. That's not bad. Wait a minute. The director of this film just called this man a wimp. Of course, he's going to get in there and he's going to drive. And I was like, what? Clint Eastwood saving my job shaming the first age, But all in ultimately... the name of
4: masculinity, Yeah, exactly. Too. That's what you want. Co- exactly. Yeah. If, oh, my God. Anytime you get emasculated in life, if you had Clint Eastwood to just would step defa- in exactly. and defend your yeah. manhood? it was
14: a little bit like the Marshall McLuhan moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I happen to have Clint Eastwood here. Clint, can you explain why? I... Yeah. So <sighs> that was very, very nice of him.
0: This is a thing that I cut out of... Uh laboring under delusions as, as you know, I was working on that hour is that between takes we're sitting in this hot room and, uh, Danny Day Lewis just sat, just stayed in the chair. Um, and between takes, um, as things were being reset, lighting was being tweaked and everything like that. Every once in a while, he would just make this noise that sounded like this. And it was like, it was like a lion, That was just kind of relaxing and thinking about what am I going to go out and take down and eat? And uh, the only time I saw him not in character, and it was after, I think after we, I think this is how I knew we had gotten that scene was because he was talking to Flanagan um, outside of the set and Flanagan is from Ireland. He's got an Irish accent and Daniel Day Lewis um, was, was talking to him and somehow the subject of, uh, paper money came up, because I don't remember like in the time period of, if, if they were moving towards the Euro or something like that, and they were getting rid of like certain denominations of, of folding money. And, uh, Dan and D. Lewis got very excited saying, I miss the old Irish money. It was it was gigantic. You know, he was so excited talking to an Irishman about the old <laughs> Irish currency. And that was the only time I heard him speak in his own voice. Yeah, I can't even know. I don't know if I know what his own voice sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty not as gruff as It's I'm not sure. remarkable. No, it's not gruff at all. It's it's a very it's a very refined voice and it sort of sounds like this and you know, it's a typical English actor's, you know, speaking voice. Oh my god. That's <laughs> wonderful. But yeah, it was it was a it was a I am I am so grateful to have had that experience to have just sort of to have been there too. Honestly, right. really. That's that is what it feels like and and uh it was a it was It's one of my most uh, Cherished memories Act 6 The final chapter The ladies in my life With my
3: grandma Eddie And my fat fat cat Margot, In which they discuss Hanging out at the Star studded Schwab's drugstore In the 1940s And what it's like To be a fat fat cat Who if she were A celebrity couple Would be named Fred Harris And Amy Fadigan
4: so I'm very excited to talk about just a little bit about the history, because when you and Grandpa moved from Ohio to Los Angeles, you lived in many locations throughout Southern California. But for a while, you lived very near the Garden of Allah Apartments, which has its own set of fascinating and sordid stories about old time Hollywood, but also you went to Schwab's drugstore and, and and am I wrong about this you had a, a shake or a malt with Caesar Romero who played oh, the I joker on the Batmash?
15: oh I Did had you? such a crush on him I went there every day uh, your granddad went to work for Douglas and he worked in the afternoon and so he probably left for work around two I would say for the uh, the third shift and, uh-huh. and uh, our second shift maybe I don't know what it was but it was he worked about three to twelve. And so, as soon as he would leave, I would go up to Schwab's drugstore and I was drinking Cokes. And I just drink one Coke right after. Really? Because this is he where came I get in. that from, too. Yeah, and Cesar Romero came in there just, if I remember, just about every day. Really? And I would just sit there and drink the Cokes and just watch him. <laughs> but I never was discovered. Uh, and I understand there were quite a few movie stars that were discovered there. Was so. that
4: kind of a hope of yours, or were you interested no, in that? No, no, I wasn't.
15: No, I didn't. I just, I just fell in love with Cesar Romero.
4: <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Now, did you ever have any kind of uh, discussion with him or anything? Well,
15: just, uh, just very, uh, just nodding, just, just passing a few words. That's uh, all. Yeah, uh, n- nothing real. Well. No, he was, he was so handsome.
4: <laughs> and it's all very innocent anyway, because my understanding is he, in the end, he, he didn't exactly go for the lady types. Did you know that? Uh,
15: that was a shock to me, really, uh, that he was uh, not interested in women.
4: Right. I so, think um, Marlene Dietrich has a famous quote about it. Have you ever heard this? Let me see if I can find it. She once said... Uh, Caesar Romero was the undisputed queen of homosexuals. I don't think there was a gay actor in Hollywood who hadn't been there. But
15: I was so naive. I don't think I really knew that there yeah, were, how were people like that. Right? Because you know, I was they, only twenty-one. And it
4: wouldn't have been obvious at the time, anyway.
15: No, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have known what they were talking about.
4: <laughs> and his roles were so dashing or yeah. flamboyant in their own right because he played the Joker, and you would expect him to be larger than life, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Margo, the fat guy, thank you for coming on I Was There Too. This is a huge pleasure for me to have you. (laughs) Now, you're a plus-size cat model, right? That's fair to say. That you're the fattest thing that's ever lived, and you're good with that? Well, it does seem like you wouldn't have it any other way, because you sure don't let anyone rest until you're fed at all times during the day. Say again? I see. What are you working on right now? Wow. Now, I've heard it said that Maine Coons are one of the most vocal breeds. That, oh, sorry. I hadn't finished. I'd heard it said that Maine Coons... Yes. Thank you. Maine Coons are the most vocal breed. Do you care to come and... Thank you. Okay, thank you. So even though it sounds like you're in distress, that's just an evolutionary thing where you guys were domesticated to the point where you sort of passed down this trait that if you sounded like a baby, that humans would respond to you more? And do you find that works? So you're not distressed right now, like this is just your normal speaking voice, and that doesn't drive your owners absolutely bonkers? Oh, it does. Well, I mean, I have to hand it to you. That's brilliant. It tugs at my heartstrings. God, you're fat. Sorry. And where can people find you? I heard that you had your own Instagram hashtag. Is that right? Now, it's Margo with an A-U-X, like Margot Hemingway. And you were named that way because your owners wanted to think of the most pretentious name possible to fit your personality. That is true. Huh. And so the hashtag is Margo the Fat Guy. A-U-X, Margo. And you have a sub- Hashtag right called Margot at the movies still Margot with an A U X and that's pictures of you in compositions similar to great shots in cinema history is that right uh huh now is there anything you want to plug are you a big fat man Margot the fat guy I can't thank you enough for coming okay I can't th- you're a beautiful fat asshole goodbye. Well, that's it for the compiled stories of I Was There Too. I'll probably try to do that every 20 episodes or so. I'm also going to probably make a a thematic recurrence on each 20th episode's theme song opening, beginning with this one. You'll catch it in the future. And speaking of theme songs...
3: I Was There Too.
4: It's time to address the theme song to this very show. I'll let the segment itself do the explaining.
8: It's time
4: for your favorite podcast game show, I Quiz There Too, with your host, me, who is talking. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guests and I, Quiz There Too, are Jeremy Smith from Ain't It Cool News and the Fire Talk With Me podcast. Jeremy, how are you today? I am splendid, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Also, we've got Devin Faraci from Birth, Movies, Death. But you're also from Wolf Pop's own darling, The Canon. I am.
16: I'm the uh, co-host of the hugely successful uh, pop culture phenomenon that is The
4: Canon. I love this show. I've told you this before. I've been on this show. And your co-host is none other than Amy Nicholson, chief film critic for the L.A. Weekly,
1: and she's right here.
4: Hey, hi, hi, Amy. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful and a little scared.
4: No, you shouldn't be. You guys are my three go-to movie geniuses. You all know more than I ever could about movies. And so I'm going to put that to the test musically here today. Most listeners have recognized that the theme song to I Was There To ends differently for every episode. Each one wraps up with a melody line famous for being from a film's main title, its score, a song from that movie, or even a melody used as a plot device. I will play the end of the different versions of this show's theme song, each quoting a different film's music. When you know the film from which the melody comes, you buzz in using your own first name as a buzzer so I know who's quickest. Mm. If you're correct, you'll earn points. If you're incorrect, you will be locked out for that question and the other players will have a chance to guess. I'm going to give you an example of what this will be like. So when you know the film from which this melody comes... Simply yell out your first name. All right, you guys ready?
5: Yes. Yes.
2: How do I know I was there? Jimmy.
4: Jeremy, I heard I heard an O from Amy first, but I heard the name Jeremy first. Would you agree?
17: I changed my name.
4: Okay, Josh also is our judge today and producer. Thank you, Josh, for coming in.
17: Very welcome. I, I heard Jeremy
5: first.
4: Okay, Jeremy?
5: Uh, That was uh, the Imperial March from Empire Strikes Back.
4: Okay, so that's how a round will go. That doesn't count as a point. Everybody's still in the clear. We're all set to zero. Does anybody have any questions before we begin? Jeremy's going to win this game. Really? Yeah, 100%. not even a question. Not that's, even a
16: question. Uh, a Jeremy. Specific. He's very good with movie scores. This oh, is, really? Yeah, yeah this, this is great. not now. Should yeah. we handicap you guys then? Do you feel <laughs> like you not,
5: want to handicap? He's putting pressure on me. Now I'm going to blow it.
16: <laughs> I don't need your affirmative action. I'm going to I'm gonna come in and I go like straight. It. Yeah. I
4: like it. Now there will be three rounds. Round one will consist of five questions, each worth a point per question. You got that, Josh? Hmm. Round two, five questions, each worth two points. Round three, the big one, well, it's worth three points, too. Five questions each round, (laughs) and if we tie, I've got some left in reserve for tie-breaking. That's as far as I've given this the thought that it needs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, also, each round will theoretically get a little bit more difficult and obscure, though that's relative for you guys, I know. But uh, I tried to group them that way as much as possible. Are you ready?
7: (gasps) I'm ready. Jeremy is God. grinning so big. Like <laughs> Look at your stance. To... It's amazing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Somehow you're seated and you still have a stance. <laughs> no, it's just it's, it's, I'm
5: competitive. This happens. I'm, I'm, ah.
4: <laughs> I love it. Okay, here we go with uh, theme song number one. How do I know I was there? Jeremy. Devin. All right, Jeremy. Halloween. That's correct. Here we go. <laughs> Question number two.
2: How do I know I was
5: there Jeremy oh. <laughs>
17: this is how it's going to go
5: <laughs> close encounters of the third kind that is correct all right we may have to readdress this between round 1 and 2 if this is
4: just a, a route okay <laughs> here we go theme song number 3
2: how do I know I was there Jeremy I-
4: sound of music. music sound of music is correct at least we got someone else on I the got, board I'm <laughs> not on the
16: board that's all I want yeah. is just not to have a big goose egg alright
4: theme song number four for round one
2: how do I know I was
4: there Jeremy Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> that's correct it's funny peripherally I can see your mouth open <laughs> first and I know you're coming in first that's amazing alright <laughs> theme song number five for round one.
2: How do I know I
1: was there
7: too? Amy. Uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory.
0: That's
4: correct. Wow. Very nice. Whoa. All right, everybody's on the board. Josh, let's recap the score here in the break between round one and round two.
17: Well, Matt, after round one, we've got Devin Faraci with one point, Amy Nicholson with one point, and Jeremy Smith with three points.
4: Oh, it's still anybody's game here on iQuiz there too. Is that what I named it? <laughs> Guys, how are you feeling about your prospects? I like to check in between rounds every time I play this game, this being the first. Amy, how you feeling? I'm feeling a little tense. You made a late, strong showing.
16: The thing is, I have a hard time saying my own name. This is what I'm learning.
4: <laughs> Do you want to change out what you yell?
16: Yeah, can I be Barbara? Sure, you sure can.
4: <laughs> you should be Jeremy is what you should be. Yeah. <laughs> Devin, how you feeling?
16: Uh, you know, I just feel honored to be able to be on the same field with the obvious champion and just to try to hold my own. Uh, and just do what little I can.
4: Everybody loves an underdog. <laughs> yeah,
1: Devin is the key of setting up low expectations.
16: <laughs> <laughs> My whole life, till I got where I am.
4: <laughs> and Jeremy, man, you've come to play. You, you're owning this game so far. How you feeling?
5: I feel very good.
4: Uh, you should. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're moving into round two now. Things will get a slightly, a uh, little bit more difficult here, but really round three is where it starts to get a little obscure. <coughs> here we go.
2: How do I know i
4: Devin. Oh, Devin. The odd couple. That's correct. Two points for Devin. I will remind the listeners at home that these rounds' points are worth two points, these rounds. Here we go. Theme song hmm. number two. How do I know I was
5: there Jeremy. Mm, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's.
4: That's correct. Moon River, written by Henry Mancini and Pantera.
5: <laughs> <laughs> some of Dimebag Daryl's best work
4: <laughs> <laughs> Theme song number
5: three How do I know I was there Devin
2: Devin.
4: Germ- Devin, Superman That's correct Now you're starting to see that these aren't always the main titles anymore That we're getting right. real deep here uh, we've got one no we've got two more questions left in this round. Those are all worth 2 points. Here we go with theme song number 4.
2: How do I
5: know I was there? Now? Jeremy, it had to be you Jeremy. Uh uh which which bond? Uh, uh 5. Uh, 4. 3. Two. Uh, you only live twice. Whoa, there it is. Holy shit. Wow. Shit. Okay. okay. I just, I, I froze there for a second. I don't know what happened. All right. You, you pulled Did it you out of the lose end.
17: This is one of your lives? <laughs>
5: uh, it, it, all told? Like like nine, like a cat?
4: <laughs> Here we go. Last theme song from this round.
5: How do I know I was there?
4: Jeremy. Fletch. That's correct. Wow. We've got two Harold Faltemeyer joints here. All right, so uh, we have reached the end of round two. Josh, recap the scores as it stands.
17: Well, at the end of round two, we've got Devin coming in with five points, Amy with one point, and Jeremy with nine points.
4: It's still anybody's game because in round three, point values are are tripled from round one.
16: Is there any way we can just do arm wrestling? (laughs)
4: Uh, that would be a route in your favor. Yeah, I was gonna say if you
10: really want to humiliate us.
4: <laughs> oh boy, uh, let's take the temperature of the room. Uh, the scores have changed. Jeremy, you must be feeling pretty good.
5: Uh, yeah, you know it's uh, you know it's a lot of a lot of game left mm-hmm. uh, as they as they say. But uh, but yeah, yeah I, I feel. I feel like I'm uh, I'm doing my best. Okay, And Devin, you know
16: I'm out here playing with heart, mm-hmm. and I think that's what really matters. Like you know the the big guys, they have all that money that comes in. You know they really spend a lot, but we're out here just playing with heart and doing it for the fans mostly.
4: That's that's clearly evident. Amy, you're you've got one point. You're on the board, but it's going to be a, a bit of a haul for you to catch up.
1: Well, you know one is the loneliest number.
4: That's true, and uh, wouldn't that, that be would nice have been if for that Magnolia? Up? Yeah. <laughs> Oh,
17: I'm gonna have to do that in the future.
4: <laughs> Seriously. Okay, we're moving on to round three where everyone is worth three points. Remember, they don't have to be the theme, the main theme from the film. How do I know I was there? Devin. Devin. The producers. That's correct. Oh. Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> Okay.
1: Is it because your name starts with a D and that's a better consonant? Mm -hmm. Is it just really No, Amy's real
16: easy.
4: Amy. Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Amy. He's grunted. I
16: actually (laughs) have to make a noise. Like, I actually go, duh,
4: duh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yours is a bit of a plosive (laughs) or (laughs) something.
5: You just, I think I have the highest degree of difficulty, though. You do. Ja. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Ja.
4: Well, it ain't tripping you up one bit as we move on to theme song number two of round three. Here we go. How do I know?
16: Devin.
17: I've got to give it to Devin. That's what I heard first. Bridge of
5: the River Quying. That is incorrect. Oh, shit. Jeremy. Jeremy. Great Escape. That is correct.
4: Shit. Very understandable. Those are two World War II movies that have one of the jauntiest, happiest theme songs where everybody dies. <laughs> totally. It's crazy. Totally transposed them. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite films. I watched Great Escape recently. It's like full Technicolor. You would think it's a Disney musical, and it just has a whole horribly sad
5: ending. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve McQueen makes it.
4: That's true. Spoiler. Okay, there are three theme songs left in this round and the game itself. Here we go.
2: How do I know I was there
8: I
4: have no idea. Nobody. All right, we'll break it down. I'll start throwing out hints about the movie. Uh Mm. Bill Murray was a supporting character in this film. Jeremy. Jeremy. Tootsie. That's correct. Wow. Something's Telling Me It Might Be You by Stephen Bishop, (laughs) a soft rock classic from the early 80s, one of my favorite songs. Yeah. You can see these get more and more self-serving. Yeah. <laughs> your, yeah.
5: your, your arrangements are interesting sometimes.
4: Yeah, yeah. they are. Because it has yeah. to work with a, a Moog synthesizer. <laughs> and those two things are not meant for each other Did necessarily.
9: Did you figure
4: these all out yourself? Um, James Bladen, who uh, sort of produced this song for me, we work together musically all the time, he plays them. Yeah, we, we go and decide, like, what's the best, what should we do? And then he's a musical genius, and he makes that happen. Yeah. The last one, I can't expect anybody will get. It's a favorite of mine, but we'll talk about that in a second. We've got one more before we get to that. It's the fourth theme song of round number three. Here we go. One of my favorite films.
2: How do I know I was there
4: stumping us yeah it's time to go to uh, trivia hint session um, they made a sequel to this movie that involved a ghost where the first film did not Jeremy yeah. Arthur that's
5: correct <laughs> Burt Bacharach so Arthur 2 is one of your favorite movies
0: no Arthur <laughs> 2 the,
4: on the rocks, Arthur II on the rocks. <laughs> Okay, this is the last one. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to add, I'm going to say this is worth 10 points.
17: Okay? Uh, okay, duly noted.
4: Yeah. All right. It's that obscure. It's, it's from a movie that I enjoy relatively well, but I love this song. And you never hear it, but it's a full song from a film. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the last one worth 10 points. Mm.
2: How do I know? Was
4: there the song plays in the movie and that melody is incorporated into the score as well. It's – there's an itch, but there's no – Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, see. there might literally be an itch because I think they discuss poison ivy in this movie. Oh, Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> Meatballs. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> the song is called If You Let Me by Mary McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't heard it – you know what? I'll yeah. play it on the outro of this episode because it is one of the
5: <laughs> sweetest songs ever written. It's beautiful. That's like the meatballs b side because are yeah. you ready for the summer? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and meatballs. Oh yes, written
17: meatballs. by Rick D. Right?
4: Okay, Josh. Let's start from uh, from lowest to highest and recap the final scores.
17: All right. Well, our final scores coming in in third. We have Amy Nicholson with one point. She's on the board. <laughs> She's on the board.
7: <laughs> I mean, that was the goal, right? To get the fewest That's number. all
4: that. Ma- I think you're actually doing better as a person. No offense. If
7: you. If you... <laughs>
5: I, I, I would say that is true.
4: <laughs> Listen,
7: what shirt am I wearing right now?
16: A
4: scorpion shirt. Yeah,
7: well, let's find some movies with good scorpions.
16: There's
4: got to be a movie with winds of change in it.
5: There has to be.
4: Right? I wonder but if. But is, is
5: there? Yeah, there is. Isn't there? What there has, has to be, right? Well, I think like, there have, is too. You Will know, Ferrell or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think. Like, yeah. yeah,
4: a comedy brought it back as they do every 90s. Huh? They should mm-hmm. have had Brad Pitt sing it in Spy Game.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Did Hot Rod use it?
17: I haven't seen that oh, movie. No, I can't remember. Okay. In second place with eight points, Devin Ferracci. Hitting 10 points is too
4: gauche for me. That's right. Mm. It's too obvious, too on the nose. <laughs> eight points is a respectable showing. It's all a respectable showing. And now, then
17: in first place with, uh, thanks to that final whammy question, 28 points. <laughs> <laughs> I have no
5: such compunction about <laughs> racking up points. I, uh, <laughs> Go
17: Josh,
4: big. let's tell them what they won. Um, I know, I haven't told you anything, because you haven't won anything. You've won the pride and dignity of knowing. You have a almost encyclopedic knowledge of film music. Jeremy, congratulations. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled to have you guys in. I'm huge fans of all three of your works and people's. And I hope in 20 episodes from now, if this podcast is still live on the air, you'll come back and do this all over again. I can't wait to lose to Jeremy one, one more time. <laughs> we'll he handicap is him next so, time. He, yeah. this, is, this is his category, like yeah. 100%. Or maybe you two should play against him, you
5: know, <laughs> team up. I <laughs> could do that. Or he could give me a concussion before I come back. Yeah.
7: If we, we could teamed have up nine against points. him, we would have nine points. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we would have uh, still
5: Well, third. 20
4: episodes, that's 40 weeks. We've got the better part of a year to figure this out. But we'll be thinking about it. Amy Nicholson, Devin Farachi, Jeremy Smith, thank you for coming on iQuiz there, too.
15: <laughs>
4: Just take a listen. That is a good song. this is good friend by mary mcgregor i think i had the title wrong but this is the real version and you just can't beat it it's the sweetest song ever written and it'll be the opening theme song to next episodes podcast as we return to your regular scheduled i was there two events thank you for all the guests that appeared on this compilation plus all of the other episodes previous to this it's been very fun. If you can connect me to a guest that you think would be right for this show, please email me at iwasthere 2 gmail at gmail.com. And otherwise, just let this song sink in. Maybe head out into the sunlight, let a blue bird land on your shoulder, help an old lady across the street, take her to dinner, see what unfolds. I've said too much. Let the song do the rest of the speaking as it trails out into a podcast ad. Good night. Wolfpop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.
7: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more